In preparation for today's message, we shall be reading from the book of John, chapter 7, verses 14 to 24. Again, that is John, chapter 7, verses 14 to 24. Please open your Bibles to that portion of the scripture and join me in reading God's word. Let us all rise in reverence to the word of God. Verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Praise God for the reading of his word. You may now be seated. The title of today's message is God's Teaching, from John 7, verses 14 to 24. It was the Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. His brothers told him to display his works at the feast, that is to go up to Jerusalem. They were in Galilee. But let us take note that at this stage, his brothers did not believe him yet. Now, Jesus went up to the place of the feast, but his intent was to teach at the temple, not to participate in the feast of booths or tabernacles. People would marvel at his teaching because they knew he did not take formal studies, or had any arrangement with any rabbi. But the Lord glorified his Father in heaven by saying, His teaching belongs to the Father and not his own. Yet he warned of people who speak on their own authority. Jesus would also address the faulty way of thinking of the Jews who were trying to kill him. I just like to note here that we can expand this, if you like, some symbolism, but we have to be careful not to overextend it, yet we put the wrong meaning to it. It was the Feast of Booths after the people of God left Egypt. And we know how dramatic that time was with signs and wonders and miracles and even drowning 
the Egyptian army, the mightiest army on earth at that time. And after that, they pitched tents. They were trusting in God. They were no longer in the safe zone. They were slaves, yes, but they were able to eat. They had some work, although they were not paid well. They were paid in food and shelter. They had a place to stay. Here it was about trusting in God alone as they moved to the desert or to the wilderness. Now that season was celebrated by the Jewish people every year to remember that they must trust in God himself. But the timing of this is also during the time of great harvests and to remind them that they should trust in the Lord and not on themselves. It also commenced the many years of moving around the desert before they entered the promised land. Now Jesus did not go, he went up to Jerusalem but not to the feast, he went to the temple. If you remember there's in the Old Testament the tent and the temple. The tent of meeting was a tabernacle or where God came, where the holy furnitures were made, and they all had a symbol of a symbol of the Christ to come, or a foreshadowing. But Christ did not celebrate the Feast of Booths. He went to teach at the temple. That was his feast when he went up. Now he was teaching there. Point number one, marvelous teaching. Jesus went up to the temple and taught they marveled at the teaching. Now, when they say they marveled at the teaching, it may mean two things. They marvel at, wow, this is great, or negatively. Uh, well, he's speaking a lot, but where did he get his authority? It's also possibly a challenge. But they marveled at the teaching. They marveled because they knew that he did not take studies or formal studies with a rabbi. There you have to be associated with a great rabbi, like Gamaliel. They identify, a student or a scholar identifies himself with a rabbi. Here we usually identify with modern day, with institutions, where you came from. Not necessarily about who your teacher was. Yes, a teacher is involved. And we never forget the really good ones that we think subjectively are the good ones that we learn from a lot or who touched our lives. Now, they knew that Jesus did not have these arrangements with these rabbis on earth, yet he was speaking in an amazing way. Now, some of them probably researched that he did not have any formal studies or is not attached to any rabbi. But they marveled. Let's read verses 14 and 15. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Of course he studied. All right. Because the Jews during that time are the most literate compared to the other nations. Because they were required by the law to teach the law to their children. Mm, yes. 
can you imagine you have the law, Philippine constitution, teaching your child as he grows up and teaching them the family code, teaching them uh, about civil law, teaching them about corporate law or law on elections, etc. Imagine that. They would teach them. Every child must know. Therefore, even during that time, uh, the carpenter can, can discuss with a, with a rabbi because they were the most literate of the nations. However, there is still that what we call a scholarly level when you dedicate your life living with a certain rabbi or guru, living with and following him around like the disciples were following Jesus around. But nobody could record who did Jesus follow around? Nobody. Now, they marveled. Now, I'm just thinking maybe some of those who wanted to kill him heard him for the first time in this manner. They saw him heal. They had discourses. But at the point where they marveled, it was here that it was recorded that they marveled. Now, how did Jesus respond to this question? How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? They were amazed or they were challenging him. Next point is glory to the Father. Instead of focusing on how marvelous his teaching was, Jesus focused on the Father. He explained that his teaching is from the Father not his own. Furthermore, he explained, if one truly seeks God's will, they will know if the teaching is from the Father. Let's read verses 16 to 18. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. It's good to note this verse 17. If anyone, if anyone wills to do God's will, if you truly want to do God's will, what is the verse saying? What is the Lord saying? You will know. But then there's the problem. Many want to learn more, but they're not willing to do what God said. They're not willing to obey. And that's why we have many false Christians because they want to obey half-heartedly. When Jesus in Matthew said, follow me, and they left their nets, and that's found in Mark as well, and in Luke as well. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Anyone who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not worthy of me. Those were Jesus' words. If anyone wills to do God's will, he will know. Now, that's the same way with studying God's word. When we study it in contest, we must truly desire what is the proper meaning of the text. But sometimes we are clouded by our own biases and we try to force our thinking into the scripture, we try to force it left and right to just bring out what somebody taught us many years ago because we learn to be committed to it. It's just like a duck. When it hatches, the first thing it sees, thinks that's the mother. 
For some of us, the first teachings we've heard, we think that is the truth. But I'd like to challenge you to really desire God's will, to do God's will, not, well, I like it, but this one I don't like to obey this. But truly, wholeheartedly say, Lord, help my unbelief. Make me believe I want to do your will. Even though I know there are weaknesses in me, I want to do your will, O Lord. And if anyone truly wants to know his will, they will know the teaching, whether it is from God or from man. Now, Jesus mentioned about whether I am speaking on my own authority. We find that in verse 17, and that is very, very important, by the way. Because there are many teachers of the world and there are many religious teachers. The model of Christ is he did not speak on his own authority. And he said earlier that I cannot do anything separate from the Father. We must speak not on our, our own authority, but under the authority of God. And how do we apply that today? The proper study of Scripture. We teach what Scripture clearly states, not what we think it states. It is to double-check our biases of what we think it means. It's to double-check our 21st century lens. Because if you interpret Scripture based on your 21st century lens, you will get lost. We have to go back. And what does it mean then in their culture then? So we can appreciate what it means now. What does it mean for the writer when he wrote it? What did it mean to the recipient? Because God inspired the writer to write. God used his own context or the situation we have to appreciate that, and I'd like to tell you, it's not always as complicated. Sometimes it is, but most of the time it's not. If we are careful in context study, if we're careful in reading a brief history of a good study Bible, reliable study Bible, we must not speak on our own authority. And later on, Jesus would question their belief, their faulty way of understanding the Sabbath. And the question is, do I have a faulty way of understanding some things in Scripture? Without that humility that I must double check. If you listen to a teaching and it comes contrary to yours, but it sounds biblical and contextual, it is good to double check ourselves to see if we might be wrong. Based on what? Based on the context of the study. But we have to filter it like the Bereans to see if it is so. But if it is not so, we filter and we reject inaccurate teaching. But first we have to desire to do God's will because if deep inside you, you don't desire to do God's will, you want to do your own thing. You want to build your own concept of what a Christian is or what the church is rather than submitting to the will of God. Then I'd like to say, let's look back deep in our hearts. Are we truly believing? Are we truly submitting 
to the will of God. Because Jesus said, I did not speak on my own authority. No preacher behind this pulpit in here in our church community should ever preach themselves. Oh, once in a while we tell stories because the congregation wants to know us a little more. But that is not the main thing. The main thing is what Scripture says according to context. That's why I'd like to encourage you, once you learn to study, to set up the filters in your ears and your eyes, you'll find that very few are committed to the study and preaching in an accurate manner. They would say, no, it's the same thing. What I said that. Analyze it carefully because at times it is not the same thing. Verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. And that's where we would see, if we were to look at examples in the book of Acts, Apollos was still preaching the baptism of John. <laughs> and he was corrected, and he listened, and then he began preaching the gospel of Christ. Now, once in a while, we rec recognize that we are wrong. But we must be easy to correct once we understand carefully what the gospel is and what the context means. But those who do not, that is what the apostles warned us of false teachers. Those who would be so stubborn, they would rather do the hazy teaching rather than a more accurate way of presenting the word of God. Now remember, if we do not speak on his authority based on the context of his word, then what? We are only seeking our own glory. And this pulpit is very tempting because you're in front of a crowd. It is so tempting to become a superstar. Rightly did John say, I must decrease. When his own disciples said that, let me paraphrase, John, there are more people following Jesus Christ, the one you baptized. And his proud followers would say, you baptized him. It's not in the Bible, okay? But allow me to dramatize a little bit. <laughs> but uh, there's more there than here. And John said, I must decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. How do preachers decrease by hiding behind what, what is clearly the word of God? And who are not comfortable with the praise of men. We would rather that we thank God altogether for his word rather than giving us the praise of men that is so tempting. But we were warned in Proverbs, beware the flattering lips. I'm not saying you cannot, we cannot thank one another, but careful to give the glory to only one. We have no authority here except to preach what we have carefully studied as the intent of the author 
And once we study it, we study it within its immediate context, then we have to study it in the broad context of all Scripture. Because all Scripture is inspired by God. Like in the book of John, you would not see the word repent, but you would see the word believe. It says, if you believe, then you will obey. It says there, we studied that previously, that those who truly believe will obey. Does that mean we should not preach repentance? We can preach just believe, but as long as carefully we say, what does believing mean? It means that you obey. It means as well we turn around from the sinful things that we do because now we believe and now we obey. So in that context, it is the same. The same way with a wonderful verse quoted for us this morning. And I do believe that those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. A true call within the heart. A true confession that he is Lord. Yet we must appreciate the context of Rome then. If you say somebody else is Lord other than Caesar, you are ready to die. Because then the chant was, what is protected by the authorities was Caesar is sovereign over all. Caesar is Lord. But then here comes these, this apostle say, uh-uh, Jesus is Lord. That's why they're persecuted. They're dislike. You must be ready for that. So we have to see it as well within the whole context. What does it mean? That's why later on, we would see that we must study scripture both in the immediate context and in the larger context. Now Jesus warned, let me say that again, those who speak on their own authority seek their own glory. Sister, brother, that was a great lesson today. Thank you very much. You know, I studied hard for that, huh? Uh, really hard. Even consulted several preachers, you know? Uh, then he even names drop, drops me at sometimes, you know, the, uh, and read many commentaries. What did Jesus say? This is not my teaching. We thank God because this is His, not mine. The time I speak more of myself and my opinions rather than the word of God, that is the time you should make a motion to remove me as a senior pastor of this church. But if you as a growth group leader never listen to studying the context and teaching the context, I will make a motion to remove you from your place. Oh. We are a loving church, we don't get that image, right? But our commitment to the truth is higher than any relationship we have here. I love you, my brothers and sisters, and we have shared many things to each other. We have prayed for one another, but the truth, the God's truth is higher than all of us. Third point, right judgment. Now, he exposed the Jews who tried to kill him, but were not following the law of Moses. 
The crowd responded by saying that he has a demon by thinking that someone is trying to kill him. It's not literally you are possessed, but when somebody says, then you have a demon, it means you're out of your mind, okay? It's common here when I hear grandparents and great-grandparents before, if you remember, dimunyuka. You know, it means you're out of your mind, you're doing something wrong or something irritating, okay? Uh, I seldom hear it now because right now we're more English speakers because of YouTube and other stuff. The young people speak English so well, so they have different expressions now. But I still loved it when I heard it before. <laughs> uh, sorry, forgive me. Let's edit that. I don't love it, but it's just amusing. But they said, you have a demon. Not that he's demon-possessed, but you're thinking off. Your thinking is off. Then he explained, he responded by speaking about their wrong way of thinking. Let's read verses 19 to 24. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Wow, powerful statement. Then he will give an example about this. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. And he's probably referring to the man he healed. Then he moves to verse 22. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. Take note, circumcision began with Abraham. It was a tradition before Moses. And what was the purpose of circumcision? To mark that this man belongs to the people of God. To make them different. That is the sign that they are different from all the other nations. It means you belong. If you're not circumcised, you don't belong to this nation or to this tribe. And verse 22, again, Moses gave you circumcision, not that, it, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Why? The baby must be circumcised on the eighth day. Eighth day. That was a tradition. Now, the thing is, sometimes the eighth day from birth was a Sabbath. So what will you do? Now, because they read somewhere in Jeremiah and from man's writing when they explained about you cannot carry anything from your house to the outside and through the gates of Jerusalem. We believe that that meant literal labor. You shall not work on, on the Sabbath. You will not load the carriage to deliver something. It's not literally don't carry your, your glass outside your house. Don't carry your circumcising materials outside your house. It's not literally that. Sabbath was still meant for rest. However, they have interpreted in a legalistic manner. They put the, the meaning of that. They gave their own meaning to the Sabbath of what they can and they cannot do. And some Jewish writers wrote that. I believe they started writing in the time of Babylon captivity and they've collected the writings. It's a Talmud. 
Now, but he's saying now, what if, you know, this happens. 23, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, by circumcising on the eighth day you fulfill the law of Moses. But then what if it's on the Sabbath? Are you angry with me because this, on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Then he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. That's the same way when we study scripture, we have to be careful. When it says here and here, that's why the study of the context of all of scripture is necessary. That's why we go line by line by line. And in your private time, we encourage every one of us here in church to read the Bible at least more than once. If you haven't, please finish it from Genesis to Revelations, or you can uh, follow the chronological approach. But read it so at least you have that whole concept, the whole concept of the whole counsel of God, then you may study deeper and understand what it means later on. But that is necessary to have understanding of things. Otherwise, you will hear, it's like the people at the plaza. You've seen them? Since I was, I was a kid, there are people there debating until morning. They just throw, oh, this verse says, oh, this verse says, oh, this verse says. Then I listened and said, no, oh, no. When I came here to this church, there were a few who did that here. They're with the Lord right now. It's just never ending. So I told them, have you finished the whole Bible? They looked at me and did not answer yes. I said, can you finish the whole Bible first before you start debating? My next question is, have you studied the context, the historical context? Can you study it first before you start debating? The funny thing, those who like to debate are those who also don't like to study. <sighs> Tiresome. And those who study are very careful with what they have to say. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now, this is not in contradiction to Matthew 7, when Jesus said, Do not judge lest you be judged, but the same standard of measure you will be measured. Why, will, why are you complaining about a speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye? Because Matthew 7 did not say do not judge, but do not judge in the context. Do not judge if you have not evaluated yourself. That is the context. So here, do not judge by appearances. You think I violated the Sabbath, Jesus was saying, because I healed a man. But hey, look at you. You circumcised on the Sabbath as well. To fulfill the law of Moses. But what if there are things in the Bible we can't understand? Then we can talk about it. Because what seemingly contradictory things are not necessarily contradictory, just like the Sabbath and circumcision, because the Sabbath is about rest. It's not about legalism, not like how the Jews interpreted it. Jesus cited that some of them would circumcise their sons on the eighth day, and sometimes he would fall on the Sabbath, but why would they seek to kill him when he healed someone on the Sabbath? He taught that one should not judge by appearance, but with the right judgment. The Jews were passionately committed to the wrong thing. And that's a problem sometimes when we are passionately committed, 
when we have not truly studied God's word about defending something or promoting something, that's why I'd rather be conservative. Conservative in the sense that what is clear is clear. What is not clear is not clear. What is clear, I will fight for. I will fight for the gospel. I will fight for the exact words of Jesus. I will fight for that. I will die for that. We must die for that. But other things, Pastor, is it okay to eat dinuguan? I don't care. Go ahead, eat. And as my friend says, bawal yan, pagwalang puto. <laughs> I don't care with a lot of things that some are so legalistic about. <laughs> We have to teach the people who Christ is. And you're concerned about, pwede bayan? You understand the main things of scripture? Because once you understand that, you know what you should fight for. And these other little things are of little concern. Some churches, you know how they do the ordinance of communion? Real wine. Rich church, right? <laughs> we use grape juice. But some believe grape juice is the biblical way. Ah, uh, grape juice was not invented during the time of Christ. No, it doesn't exist. It continues to ferment by itself as long as you leave it. But hey, do whatever you want, all right? Do you know the gospel? Ah, as long as the gospel is accurate. Application, teach his teaching. A preacher, teacher, and follower of Christ should echo and explain God's will as revealed in God's word. We must carefully teach and share God's word, not our own opinions, but lessons supported by the context. Now, after we study... There are things we can do. That's why it's good to have a library, and we do have a library. It's good to counter-check what you studied by the other scholars as well. So two or three being counter-checked with how you studied it, and sometimes you feel happy because how you studied, how you extracted it is the same. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You're teaching me how to study. But sometimes it's not so because there's more information in the history of some. Then you read Sometimes contradictory statements in the sense that, like I mentioned to you, the word marvel here may mean two things. That's why I have to share the both approaches to it. I cannot just say one because that's the best I could do is to be accurate, is to show you with the two perspectives of the word marvel. They marveled at his teaching, meaning they're either amazed or they're amazed like, or, or they're challenging him. But we must teach his teaching. Jesus said, the one I'm teaching is not my teaching. It belongs to him who sent me. And you know the best way to teach his teaching is to echo it. This is what it says. The word is powerful enough. It just needs to be clarified and explained. That's all we need to do. That's why sometimes just Bible reading 
You don't know how to start a growth group? Gather your friends or family and say, let's just have Bible reading every Friday or night or Saturday morning. Just read the Bible one chapter after another. As you go through, you'd realize some of them, because the word is powerful. The word is true. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life, and the word of God can work in them. The spirit of God will use his word to work in their lives. But if your concept of study is just repeating cliches or just remembering teachings that you've heard when you were young that you were not, you did not even check or double checked. Then the famous phrase, Para sa akin ito. No, no, based on the context, what's the clo- what does the author mean? You try to get as close to that. Enough. Enough. It's good to know scripture. What we need to do is to echo and explain. Haven't you realized how I make my, my outlines that I give to you every Sunday? It's the echo of the text. It's a new version of the text. It's a paraphrasing of the text. That's my point and this one. And I just add explanation to clarify what is already powerful. I don't have to dramatize to make you cry. Do you feel that brother, sister? You feel lonely? The Spirit's with you. I am here for you as well. Oh, our pastor's so kind. I don't need gimmicks. What we need is to preach the truth. And if the truth moves you in spirit, in mind, in feelings, emotions, so be it without the manipulations. Glorify the Father. We should glorify God by teaching His will as revealed in His Word. Moreover, if anyone marvels at the teaching, let us not seek the admiration. If we are appreciated, let's give glory to God immediately. Let's say, as Jesus said immediately, it is not mine, it is the Word of God, it is God's gift to us. But instead, let us acknowledge to others that it is not our teaching, but the Lord's. And lastly, use right judgment. Let us be careful how we judge, not like the Jews. How should we judge? It should be based on God's word and carefully studied within its context. We must double check every seemingly contradictory statement. Prayerful and cautious. Cautiously study My friends, study is the way to go because Paul told Timothy, study. Now, some of you who are so pressured in school said, what? I'm already tired studying. This is different because this is about life. Life. You study in school to pass so that you get a diploma so you can move on to the next level And so hopefully one day you get a job or you know how to start a business to equip you for life on the temporal plane, on earth. But the study of scripture prepares us for what? For eternity, forever. 
It is not just the next life, but life now, according to God's word, it's now and the not yet, the now and the future. So I'd like to say the most important thing that you will be able to study is God's word himself. Let us be careful how we judge, not like the Jews. How should we judge? It should be based on God's word, carefully studied within its context. Forgive me for repeating this again. We must double check every seemingly contradictory statement, prayerful and cautious study is the way. I give you right now a piece of poetry called Beware Falls Judgment. At the temple, at the temple, there Jesus would teach the people. They would marvel, they would marvel, never seen something so novel. Oh, where did his knowledge come from? Where else but from the Father's throne? If we truly seek the Lord's will, His word, His will, we will not kill. And Jesus warned of false judgment, unwise thinking and commitment. Through His grace and word, judge rightly. Let us avoid teaching falsely. Thus, by His grace, we must study not simply parrot or copy. Seek his will with sincerity. Commit to study willingly. Let us all rise and let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for your word. We want to do your will. We want to please you. We do not want to speak or behave on our own authority. Like the Lord Jesus, may we speak your will, your message, not ours. Willing to change, willing to adjust, willing to follow, willing to obey. And by doing so, by doing so, understanding the teachings of Christ. Give us that desire to have the heart to do it, to believe, to obey. Yet forgive us for we are wretched sinners. We are ashamed of our sin. Yet we thank you because you know, we know that you are forgiving. And through Christ, you forgive us. Allow us to grow in this faith in this relationship with you. Allow us to grow strong. Allow us to study the scriptures. Allow us to be careful to judge rightly, but it begins with understanding the scriptures rightly. As Jesus mentioned, the circumcision and the Sabbath, the right way of understanding it. Guide us and lead us. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. Good morning. God bless you.